Entrepreneurs Over 40, Episode 8, featuring Bill Nowicki talking about how he profits creating local podcasts. That's what I love about the you know, local podcast is there's so many ways you can go to serve the local community and give them good stuff. If you think about it, radio, newspaper, they have so much cost and infrastructure behind them. I can come along and start, I bought a mic and the recorder and just started talking to people and interviewing them. You're listening to Entrepreneurs Over 40, the show for somewhat mature entrepreneurs and side hustlers. And now your host, Greg Mills. At one point, our guest today and I lived in the same state, some 30 miles apart, though we didn't know each other. He got his start working at Friendly's Restaurant as an ice cream scooper. By his own admission, they didn't trust him to run the grill. Realizing he was going nowhere, he joined the Navy and ended up working as an electrician's mate aboard the USS Minneapolis, a nuclear submarine. Afterwards, he enrolled at Virginia Tech and graduated cum laude with a BS in electrical engineering. He has gone on to have a long and successful career in the nuclear power industry where he still works today. As if that weren't enough, he started his own videography company, Nowiki Media, where he helps locals in Atlanta discover their own unique story and get it out to the world. He has also started two podcasts, which continue to this day. The first, Submarine Sea Stories, launched in 2014 and focuses on the stories of the men who served aboard submarines during the Cold War with the Soviet Union. The second, Marietta Stories, debuted in 2016 and focuses on local businesses in Marietta, Georgia. Its tagline is, Building a Stronger Community, One Interview at a Time. He glows with pride. Without further ado, let me introduce the one and only Bill Nowicki. Hey, how are you, Greg? I'm doing well. It's good to be talking with you. Yeah, it's good to talk to you too. Now, Bill, can you take a few moments and fill in the gaps from that intro and bring us up to speed with what's going on in your world today? Oh, gosh. Well, in 2018, I got a divorce after the most successful starter marriage ever, 32 years. And I started, kind of started Again, I'm in a uh, fixer-upper house in Marietta that I love. I've finally gotten to a point where it's painted, so it's not too bad looking anymore. And I did stand-up comedy for a little while, played around with improv, you know, just keep kind of reinvent myself slightly, but uh, I still have my regular job. <laughs> and the, the rest of it was, was pretty accurate, but yeah, I'm also... I have a website. I'm starting a local podcast network, local podcast network, a CO. And okay. Yeah. To help people learn from my mistakes and trying to start a local podcast. Well, it certainly sounds like you've done a lot right with Marietta stories. Yeah. Now, just going back, I know that you grew up listening to your dad talking about his days in the Navy. Do you come from an entrepreneurial background? Was anyone oh. in your family an entrepreneur or have their own business? No. And that's a funny story. Uh, funny kind of thing is my dad was a printer, always worked, you know, hourly wage his whole life. My mom was a stay at home mom that she became an LPN. No one in my family is an entrepreneur. My brother, that's, I should correct that. My brother did his own, he's an electrical engineer too. And he did his own business for a while, but then now he's in house, uh, but it's, he, he, I would say he has an entrepreneurial spirit. And 
for me, what's interesting and in, in, uh, what I've learned is, and what I learned in doing leadership at the nuclear plants is you got to be yourself. I'm not a type A person. I don't you know, do social media nonstop or any of that, but somehow I found a niche through some different channels that worked for me and I was able to kind of build a business from that. But it's, I'm not a typical entrepreneur that uh, you might think of when you think of an entrepreneur. Well, it seems like the more I learn about entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship, there is no one thing, one size fits all or a typical yeah. profile. Right. And I, I would say what's so cool now is like you think about a podcast uh, back when I listened to the radio and stuff, the FCC you know, had control of content and how it got out there. Now with podcasts, you can start one fairly easily. And what I loved when I started Marietta Stories, and you talked about the video business, I didn't have any video clients. And I was not a cold calling type person. And so that was going on one part of my head. The other part of my head is this is an underserved community. There's great people. They're working their butts off to try to do small businesses and influence the community. And I'm like, but their story, I never, you know, the website stink, all this kind of stuff. So I'm like, there's a need out there. And if I can figure out what the folks story is, maybe then I can, get video clients. And so I started Marietta Stories, as you talked about. And and as you know, from doing interviews, Greg, that you really establish a connection with someone for that interview period. And it's a great way to start a relationship. One, you're giving them something. Two, you're getting to know really what makes them tick. Like I ask questions in my interviews that I would never ask if it was just a getting together or meeting somebody somewhere. I would never ask the kind of questions I do, but somehow with a microphone, you can get away with asking pretty <laughs> deep questions. And I, I really enjoyed that part. Like one of my first interviews, the guy had dyslexia and he barely made it through high school, couldn't go to college, but he became an entrepreneur. And now we're friends. I did that interview four and a half years ago. And we're friends. And he says, man, I'm going to make it over a million dollars this year. And he just started it from, uh, didn't know anything about leather goods. He, he bought some leathers, made a wallet, took a picture, sent it to 10 people and started selling out of his basement or garage actually. And that's where I interviewed him. Now he has huge manufacturing place. He's really doing well. And to watch that journey that somebody's on and, and, you know, being part of that community, it's not just, I you know, know someone in LA or whatever. These are people I see and hang out with. And it's nice. I got to say, to me, it makes total sense to do a local podcast. One, it's cheap to do. But two, you establish those relationships that I, I, I see people all the time that I'm walking through town. Hey, Bill, how you doing? What's up? And it's because I had him on the show and I got to know him. And it was, it's been a really strategic way that I kind of underestimated saying, oh, I'm going to get some great video work. I've met uh, Frankie Valley and from Frankie Valley into Four Seasons. I met him because of the podcast and Ed Asner I interviewed, Donnie Most. They were coming to Marietta and I got their phone numbers. And I mean, it's been all kinds of things I never anticipated because I just took that chance, you know, which 
I guess goes back to what you said, which is an entrepreneur. I'm able to think like an entrepreneur, which is just start down the road and find out what you, you're capable of doing and just keep going. It definitely sounds like Marietta Stories has helped you acclimate to the town of Marietta and the surrounding areas from being an outsider to mm-hmm. being part of the family. Right. And you live down south. You know this is... You said I I lived in Huntersville, about 30 miles from where you lived, and I worked at the nuclear plant. And I I had never lived south of Blacksburg, Virginia. And when I went to North Carolina and I met some of the folks at the plant, they're like, where are you from? And I said, well, I just moved from Maryland. No, where are you from? Well, I grew up in New Jersey. Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, well, I went to school down south, too. And they said, where? And I said, Virginia. That's not the south. I said, really? They said, no, this is the south. And then meet somebody they were like where's your church i'm like what do you mean where's my church people size you up based on who you are where you're from and i wasn't used to that even in marietta it's there's old families here from before the civil war and how do you get to know folks mm-hmm. well it's a great way to get to know them is interview them and i've met some fantastic people that they can trace their roots back to you know, in the 1830s, the land grant period of Marietta. It's been it's been a great journey for me, just knowing these folk. So you're still employed in the nuclear power industry. Have have mm-hmm. two successful podcasts and a videography company, and are starting a, a local podcast network. Yeah, localpodcast.com. Yeah, and I'm turning 60. And turning 60. So when do you sleep, and how do you <laughs> get everything done? That's a good question. You know. Uh, the other thing about podcasts, and this is if anybody was thinking about doing a podcast, I would definitely make them into seasons because you get burnt out. It's hard to do a weekly podcast, even though you love it. It's like, ugh. So I set them up in seasons. And like this season, season five is all about hole in the wall restaurants. And it's been a slog trying to get them with COVID and people are crazy busy in restaurants to get the interviews. And after 10, I'm like burnt out. But, you know, then I'll take a few weeks off and I come up with a new idea and start season six. But it's it's based on where my energy's at. And that's what's great about like a side hustle is I'm not beholden to, oh, I got to find the next sponsor. I got to, you know, launch this course or, you know, I won't make payroll. I don't know how entrepreneurs do that. I'm not really wired to do it. I need peaks and valleys, take a break, take a couple of weeks, and and uh, nothing bad happens as a result. That's kind of the way I, I see things is, yep, this has been great, but I'm re- ready for a couple of weeks off, and so that's what I'll do. So jumping back a little, how did you end up starting, or why did you end up starting No Wikimedia? That's a great question. So I was working at a nuclear plant, and I loved my job, even though it was a challenge, and then I came here to Atlanta, and I work at a place that does evaluations of nuclear plants. And I could tell pretty early on that I was going to be doing a lot more evaluations than what I thought I was going to be doing. And so I started going out on these evaluations. I didn't like them. And I went to a technical conference, and they had a leadership presentation I went to, and it was by a about a guy that was a POW in Vietnam. He was one of the ones at the Hanoi Hilton, and they had that whole tapping thing where they tapped the Morse code so they could communicate. And he wrote a book, and he talked. I met him after the 
talking and he gave me his card and it said coach on there. And I said, Oh, you do coaching? And yeah, yeah. So I sent him an email. I said, I'd love to hire a coach to find out what I could do about this job that I have that I don't like. And he said, I can't do it, but here's another guy. So I got with this guy, Gary O'Malley, who's in Marietta. And we met and I knew the first time I met him, I was like, man, I'm going to get something out of this. And one of the things that stuck with me, he said, what's your goal? I said, well, I want to get better at my job. And I said, well, hell, I can't help you with that, but I can help you tell you what you should be doing. I said, what do you mean? He goes, you'll see. And so over the next, I think it was like two or three months, we met like every week or every other week. We went through this long list of what's important to me. And at the end of that, he said, hey, you're you're wired to be a storyteller, videographer, a podcaster. And I said, well, okay, great. What do I do now? He goes, well, find people that do that and uh, you'll see things will start happening. I said, okay. So I looked on Meetup and there was no meetups for podcasters. So I heard a podcast from an entrepreneur in Israel and I just sent him an email. I said, really like your show. I would love to learn more about podcasts and how you did it. And he says, I just happen to have a Facebook group and I'll let you join for free and I'll teach you how to do it. How's that sound? Said, Sounds great to me. And I thought he was going to ask me for money and never did. And I was with this group of folk. And one of the guys, in fact, was Jared Easley, who uh, runs podcast movement or started podcast movement with a couple other guys. He was in that Facebook group. I got to know him started helping the podcast movement, became a speaker. I interviewed people for, I think, 2018. They paid me to interview people and talk about their experience of podcast movement. Got paid for that. Just kept following it. And when I launched Submarine Sea Stories, it got the number 10 in the country in the uh, art category and on the Apple Podcast app. I was like freaking out. I was like, what happened? And my coach said, Hey, things will start happening. Just you'll see. And I, I didn't know what he meant. And after that started happening, I was like, I guess he's right. And he said, you want to find that thing that gets other people excited when you talk about it. And for me, that's really podcasting and interviewing. I think I learned that on the submarine. I mean, you didn't have any new experiences. So I would totally get engrossed in people's stories and what their lives were like. And, and I learned, you know, some of those skills to tell a story and, and how to listen. It's really been a fun journey for me. I mean, it's like I said, it's put me in places I never would have imagined. Now is the videography business, is that still a major focus for you or have you transitioned more towards your podcast? Well, it, it's funny. I, I don't, I don't do like weddings or anything like that. It's more like business videos, but what I've been doing lately is there's a uh, colonial dames they're called the national something or other but there's a there's different chapters throughout the country and these are descendants of revolutionary war folks so they like one lady's name was tiff and tift her maiden name and her ancestor founded tifton georgia so they're highfalutin people and you know they came down here from before the revolutionary war but anyway i I got a contract with them because I did another video job where I interview some of the colonial dames, some of the older ladies, and put a video together for them. 
I like doing those because they're, you know, I just listen to people's stories. Like the one lady, I think she just turned a hundred. And when Gone with the Wind came out, she was one of the ushers at the theater in Atlanta where Rep Butler and Olivia de Havilland and all the stars came down to Atlanta for the premiere. She was one of the ushers. So, but just cool stuff like that. I just love listening to them. And then they're nice people. I mean, it's been a real fun thing for me to experience all that kind of stuff. But uh, to answer your question, the I it's kind of a mix now. I do some video projects and mostly podcasting and mostly Marietta stories. But if somebody says, hey, can I be on your submarine sea stories? I'm like, yeah, sure. And I'll interview them and you know, I'll call their phone with Skype or whatever and, and, and record it and then publish it. And it's no big deal. But as you know, it's not super expensive to do this kind of stuff. So it doesn't hurt me really to keep all the episodes out there on Lipson and, and maintain the website and those type of things. So on submarine sea stories, have you started getting people from other subunits? Yeah, it's interesting. There's all kinds of Facebook groups on submarines. So when I was heavily into it, I, I remember going on there, one of the submarine groups and there was one guy was struggling. So I didn't realize this, but there's people that were on submarines that have PTSD because mm -hmm. it's so scary. You don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> it never happened to me, but I, it makes sense that he would. And the one guy was on a submarine group and he's like, I'm not doing well. He said, well, you know, I came from an alcoholic family and the safest place for me was the submarine because I slept better on a sub than I did ever because he knew what to expect. He knew he could trust the people around him. He knew that they had his back. And and when he was home, it was much different. Like his mom and dad, if they were sober, they were fine. But if they weren't, then all heck would break loose. So I was like, I got to interview this guy. So that's what I did. I interviewed him. I reached out to him and we're friends. He lives up just north of here. So I saw him not too long ago. Nice guy. But the, I, I love when you, and you know this, Greg, uh, when you hear somebody's story, it, it makes sense the way they act. And all the stuff we do on social media that, you know, it's like, this person's a jerk, you know, we should ban them. I don't know these people. I, I think the more I know about interviews and talking to people, the more I think everybody's complicated. Everybody has their own story. I'm not going to judge them based on some Twitter post when they were drunk or whatever. I, I don't know what their journey is. Um, and if I do find out their journey, typically I feel more empathetic to them than anything, even if they're struggling. Yeah, my wife and I have made a largely conscious decision to stay off most social media. Mm -hmm. And I think that's helped, helped a good bit. And you always hear about people having FOMO, fear of missing out, because mm -hmm. it's human nature just to post the positive stuff and not to post the negative. So you see these grandiose vacations and people you know, enjoying it. It seems like they never work. And you know, that's not the case. Yeah. So. I read an article not long ago saying these influencers, if you go out and do something with them, it drives you crazy because they're constantly updating their status and taking pictures and tagging them and then putting them through filters. And it's like no way to live. Oh. That's not me. And that's what I love about 
the local podcast is there's so many ways you can go to serve the local community and give them good stuff. If you think about it, radio, newspaper, they have so much cost and infrastructure behind them. You know, I can come along and start, I bought a mic and the recorder and just started, you know, talking to people and interviewing them and say, hey, you got a activity coming up? You want to be on the show? Oh, yeah, sure. It's amazing. People say yes so easily. And, and then you put it out there and you position yourself as some kind of Somebody called me, what the heck did they call me? Public figure. I was like, I'm a public figure? What the heck? Well, you yes. are. Well, you know, and the funny thing is, is that merging of the old school, new school stuff. And like the drive, there's a lady, Jen Hobby here in Atlanta, that's on the morning drive radio. And she, I don't know what she gets paid or whatever, but she's, you know, everybody knows her. And when she posts on Instagram, she gets like 10,000 whatever's. Well, she's like, hey, I I promise to be on your podcast. You know, let's get together. And of course, she launched her own podcast on the side. So it's like, it's a great way to say you're part of the media, but you're really not the old school media. It's a new school. But it's so nice because I didn't go to journalism school. I didn't do any of that stuff. But because I took that chance, like many entrepreneurs do, or like all entrepreneurs do, that it gave me these great opportunities and it's, it's fun. It's so much fun. It's amazing. Now you have a unique style of interviewing people and that you're doing most of these, particularly for the Marietta stories in person, as opposed to online Mm -hmm. or over the phone. Can you talk about the advantages and disadvantages of that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially before COVID, what I love about podcasts is like, I tell them, is it okay if I sit right next to you? Because I have one mic. Mm -hmm. So the thought is like a lot of folks, especially small business owners, they're not used to being on shows like that. So if you put, if you put the equipment in front of them and they're moving away from the mic and they turn their head and they do that. And it's like, man, that drives me crazy. So I was like, let me just get one mic and I'll move the mic and I can hear them on the headphones. So when you show up with the equipment, the mic, the headphones, the recorder, it looks professional. It's easy. It's portable. I got a short cord, XLR cord, and you know my earphones are short cord. So like one time I interviewed someone talking about bubble tea and she's like, well, you want to make one? Yeah, sure. I said, hold the mic. So she was holding the mic and I was making this bubble tea for some poor unsuspecting person. It's really easy. I make them feel comfortable. And I love that. And what typically happens, I'll start my interviews like, where'd you grow up? You know, like kind of like you asked me, and that's an easy question. Nobody's going to get nervous about it. And within five minutes, we have a pretty good rapport going on, which helps me ask really important questions. But to answer your question, yes, most of them I try to do in person. Sometimes doesn't work out or like Ed Asner, I got his phone number and I called him, that kind of thing. And it gives me the time. So that's much easier on them. And then the other, like we have uh, musicians coming into town. We had a guy that's a Grammy award winning drummer and my friend that runs Marietta Jazz and Jokes said, hey, can you interview this guy? I said, yeah, sure. So I called him up interviewed him, edited, sent it to him. And he was so 
appreciative. He's like, man, you're really good at interviewing. I said, well, I appreciate that. And he said, I sent it to somebody and he sent it to somebody else. And we're going to cut a record together or whatever they call them now. We're going to go to the studio together because he saw how passionate I was about, you know, genres and how to make music and you do business with who you know, like, and trust. Well, how the heck do you find out if you know, like, and trust them if you don't listen to their story and understand what makes them tick? So to me, however I get that, and I'm much more flexible now with COVID that I just tell them, hey, I'll call you up, whatever. And and the other thing that I want to mention just from interviewing standpoint is I tell them this isn't live. So if you mess up, tell me, or if you say something you wish you didn't just let me know and I'll edit it and I'll always make it available for them rough draft so they can listen to it and say yeah man I, I sound pretty good thanks and and that helps too but whatever I can do to make somebody feel comfortable with the interview is what I'm going to try to do so we do have a trusting relationship to start with and they got their their point across and many times it's pretty cool. Like when you talk to an entrepreneur or somebody who runs whatever, a bakery, restaurant, whatever business, you remind them why they're doing it. And it's a gift to them at the end. They're like, because you pull them out of that craziness for at least a little bit and they and they get a sense for why they're doing, it reminds them why they're doing what they're doing and why they get up at five o'clock in the morning and all that kind of stuff, which is good. I just like the people. Like when I see somebody on the street, I'll tell my girlfriend, hey, you know, there's such and such and they did this and it's such a cool story. And I'm wired to remember stories. So I'll forget probably your name and everything, but I remember you where you came from near where that uh, light show place is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just the way I think most people are wired. And I think genetically people are wired for story because if you think about it, cavemen, if you could tell them, hey, there's a snake about 300 yards down on the path, you know, off to the left, I saw a big snake and, you know, blah, 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 then you have a better chance of survival. So we're kind of wired to listen to stories. And I just think it's a great, great way for me and the community to get closer. Yeah, I definitely agree with you about being wired for stories. I can remember something a lot, lot easier, just like you said, if it's in a story format. Mm-hmm. Wish I'd known that going in high school and well, college. And yeah, how about history classes in high school? It's so freaking boring. Then it, I read history books all the time now. I used yeah. to hate history. It's like because I never knew the story. I don't care about the facts. What date something happened? How many whatevers? I don't care. But if you yeah. tell me the story about it, it's like, man, it's fascinating. So what has been one of your favorite interviews that you've done recently? Oh, gosh. I have so many. I would say I interviewed a lady, Beverly McAfee, <clears throat> who people here in Marietta know very well, but I didn't know. But somebody told me yeah, I had to talk to her, and she's such a great storyteller. She was very active in the Marietta High School, and one of the principals was retiring. And and she was a member of some kind of supportive organization in the high school. And they're like, we're going to do a fundraiser and get her a brand new convertible car. Or not brand new, but like a year old convertible car mm-hmm. in the Marietta High School color. And and so they had this audacious plan to get her a brand new car. They're going to put it in the Hilton, you know, take move the doors out of the way so they can pull this car in and give it to her. And she went to the car dealership and said, I want this car and blah, blah, blah. And, and she, he goes, well, how much money do you have? She goes, don't worry, we'll get the money. We got about $1,600. This is back in the 70s or whatever. 
he's like, man, you know what one of those cars costs? He's well, you know, we're going to get the money. Don't worry about it. And he goes, well, I got this other car. It, it's almost like that, but it's just two years older. It's got some miles on it, but it's really great. And I said, uh, and she goes, wait a minute. I didn't say she was the second best teacher. <laughs> I said she was the first. So we're going to get that car. And she used to climb the fence to inspire herself and touch the car and make sure it's still there in, in the middle of the night. <laughs> She's crazy, you know. But, but that really meant a lot to her. Oh, my God. Well, you know, and, it, and it's funny. I've been in therapy for years. And I said, you know, I just love listening to people's stories. And my therapist said, yeah, because no one listened to yours. And I came from a big family and I was toward the end of the line there. And she's right. No one, you know, asked us our opinion, you know, the, the kids. And we just ate whatever was fed to us and did whatever. But she goes, yeah, that's why you like listening to other people's stories because no one listened to yours. And I got emotional telling her too, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting when you think about it. And I'm sure Beverly has the same, you know, I'm sure she grew up, had some hard spots in her life and made it up when she was an adult. Because that's what I'm doing, you know. Yeah, no one gets through life, you know, without any scars. That's for sure. Yeah, and that's what I think is interesting. And if you can really do a good job of interviewing, you get to understand what drives people and what motivates them. To be totally honest, like the videography business, what I did was I signed up for a class. They had a closed Facebook group. And I did my first video shoot. I posted it. And, they, and they, I had a long list of problems. And I took all the feedback, did it, reshot the whole thing, did it again, had a, about 30% as many comments. And then the next time they were like, yeah, it's pretty good. So to me, it's about doing. Many times when I talk to people and I've helped people start podcasts, they never do it. It's mm -hmm. they get their head wrapped around, and I'm sure you had issues with it too. Is, well, I got to focus on technology. I got to focus on this. Why don't you just get me a couple episodes, send them to me on Dropbox? I'll listen to them and I'll give you feedback. That's the easiest way to get from A to B. And most, some people will do that, but most people never launch, and it's the saddest thing. To me, especially people our age, like these kids that are putting together podcasts, it's like they don't have experience like we do. And experiences really helps connect you with other folks. If you're in your 20s, yeah, that's great to have a podcast. But by gosh, people in their 50s, 40s, 50s, and 60s should be doing podcasts if they can get out of their own way and shift their paradigm a little bit. But to me, it's so much fun when you get out of your own way and start doing it, that, that uh, it's worth it. It's worth the, the fear that you have, but finding people that do something is the best way to do that. You know? Yeah. Kids growing up today are absolutely fearless and they've embraced yeah. technology. And, absolutely. you know, at least from the generation that I'm in, I was always worried about what other people were thinking about me. And now that right. I'm 50 plus years old, they weren't thinking about me at all. <laughs> right. Absolutely <laughs> true. And it's funny you should mention that. I asked that Israeli guy. I was like, I don't know if I can launch this podcast. He goes, what are you scared about? And I said, well, what if no one listens? And he said, no one's listening. Nobody's listening. And I said, well, what if a bunch of people listen and they uh, hate it? And I said, well, a bunch of people are listening. And I said, well, that's mm -hmm. true. So I hit publish.
But it's that kind of thing. If you actually think through what are you really scared of, there's really nothing. There's no downside to it except your own embarrassment. And to be honest with you, your everyone's first episode sucks. Everyone's mm-hmm. first video sucks. It's just how we learn. But not doing it is the biggest issue. Is uh, most people never publish, and it's sad. Like I said, I'd, I'd rather they try it and find out I don't like it, and here's why. But you know, it's getting over your own hesitancy. So your advice would be just do it. Yeah, and find someone, find a mentor, and find a coach, whatever it is, and you can do it. It's just like. When I think about all the hours I spend editing and all this, and and people say, oh, why don't you just publish? I said, well, this is that person's story. And if they're saying um and ah every other word, people are going to hear that and not hear their story. So I want to honor that time and that commitment they gave to me. And at the end, I want them to send it to their friends and their their uh, family and have them listen to it and say, hey, man, you know, I didn't even know this. And I've heard this many times. I didn't even know that about my dad. Because it's yeah. not typical that you go into that that depth with someone. And it's to me, it's a gift I can give them for all the hard work they put in to make Marietta a great place to live and work. All right, sir. Well, that sums it up. And yeah, I'd like to thank you for being a guest on Entrepreneurs Over 40. Is there anything uh, you would like to promote? Localpodcastnetwork.co. There's a PDF you can get of all the equipment I use, which is helpful. And then just shoot me an email. I'm putting a course together. I I just flipped, well, I didn't flip it, but I just finished my house renovation. So I have some more time. I'm going back to the producing the course and I'll be doing coaching and stuff like that. But I think it's a great way for someone over 40 to you know give back to the community and get a podcast out there because like i said it's not expensive and it's super fun all right so they would email you at bill at marietta stories.com absolutely thanks greg appreciate what you're doing i think it's a underserved community now, that was a short little episode with Bill, but it's absolutely loaded with valuable nuggets of information. These are some of my top takeaways. Local podcasting helped Bill acclimate to the new town that he had moved to and become a regular, or as one of his fans called him, a public figure. Now, this would be an absolute great way to break into a new community if you were new or just to expand your circle of friends and acquaintances. As Bill pointed out, He has met several celebrities and musicians, as well as just great people all around. Because once you start a project like this, the possibilities are endless, and you don't know where it's going to take you. Bill also pointed out you can establish a really deep connection with someone just by interviewing them. Local podcasting serves as a sort of lead magnet for Bill's videography business, and I could see it also being a good tool to generate advertising revenue. Local podcasting can be done over the internet, but Bill makes a good case for doing it in person. Now, if you want to find out more about local podcasting, check out localpodcastnetwork.co or email Bill directly at bill at mariettastories.com. Now, next week, we'll have Jeffrey Nash on talking about his invention called the Juppie and how he brought it to life. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneurs Over 40. Check us out at entrepreneursover40.com. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory.